If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts, and let's go to chapter 4. We want to look at verses 13 uh, through 22. And so we want to continue in our study. Peter and John are arrested, and so this morning is part 2. Now, Peter and John arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember last week, the priest, uh, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, and I believe there was others that came upon them. They're at Solomon's porch, adjacent on the east side of Herod's temple there in Jerusalem. And they took them, they apprehended them. The problem was the Sadducees, uh, they were part of the religious sect uh, there in Jerusalem. They were called the Sanhedrin. They were the 71 elect of Israel. Uh, you had the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. But there was something interesting about the Sadducees, and these are the ones that came after John, Peter and John, that is. Uh, they were considered the materialists at the time. Uh, they were into the ministry for financial gain. Their goal was always mammon or finances. They did not believe in spirits, nor did they acknowledge angels, and they rejected any kind of resurrection. They also had the problem with the hereafter. Uh, they did not consider heaven or hell. Not all of them, but the majority. They rejected, obviously, Jesus Christ as the Messiah of Israel. Yet, they could, could not deny that this lame man, that's what the whole issue is about. This lame man from birth, we're going to see at the end of the teaching this morning, that he was over 40 years old. He was completely healed. He was set free. And the Bible even says that he was made whole. And they, they asked last week, what power or what authority and what name have you done this thing? As they surrounded them there in the courtyard. And so here uh, this morning in Acts chapter 4, we're going to look at part 2. They forbid them to preach any longer in Jesus' name. Now, how do you do that? I struggle when somebody comes up with that kind of uh, theology of their own. And yet it's been like that for 2,000 years. And so the scriptures teach us it is better to obey God than to obey man, even the civil authorities. And so here's a big test for Peter and John, but they don't hold back. Why? Because of what's taking place uh, in the book of Acts in chapter 2. The Holy Spirit has fallen upon them. They've got the power of God. They're not going to hold back. But this is the beginning of the church. And the church begins, listen, not without trial. And that's what we shared last week. And so Peter and John are arrested, and now they forbid them to preach in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How do you hold back? Look at verse 13 with me now, Acts chapter 4. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. They were astonished. They were amazed. They were marveling over this. And yet they realized that these men had been with Jesus. 
So here's the scenario. Peter and John are not the same. They're not the same men that they were before. And you have to ask the question, why? These men that arrested them witness on hand, listen, the boldness of Peter and John. Yes, but in all reality, the witness of the Holy Spirit was upon them. That was the promise given back in uh, Acts chapter 1. Jesus gave that promise. Go and wait. And not many days from now, the Holy Spirit will come. And we know that the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. The prophecy of Joel is fulfilled. 700 years prior to Jesus Christ, the prophecy in Joel. Here we are this morning, 2,700 years later. They also realized that these were Galileans. Their speech gave them away. Notice what it says here. Uh, They're uneducated. They're untrained. And yet they spoke with authority. Uh, These Galileans were considered always unschooled, if you may. We know that Peter and John, they were fishermen by trade. Their speech gave them away. But most of all, and I want you to see this, They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Uh, Through uh, the three and a half years of public ministry, the ministry of preaching, teaching, and healing by Christ, and now the proof text of the former lame man from birth, he's healed, he's made whole. But I want you to see that portion of the text. Because they had been with Jesus. It's the same with us here this morning. I hope and pray I'm a different person. I'm a different man for the last 33 and a half years that I've come to be in Christ. You the same. However long you've been in Christ, that should be the difference between you and the world. I want you to mark this down. Some of you don't know this verse. Very popular. If you want to turn to it, I want you to mark it in your Bible. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You see, when you've been with Christ, when you're born again of the Holy Spirit, there has to be change. That's the test. The Bible says, Jesus said, they'll know you by your fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is going to work in and through you. And the first fruit of the Spirit is agape love. There has to be change. The word is transformation. Uh, The word is metamorphosis. The word that we're going to see here, we become a new creation in Christ. Notice 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, and so Paul has been speaking on this particular subject. And so he brings it to the point now. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, not out of Christ, but in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. The old man, the old woman. Behold, all things have become new. Peter and John were transformed. Peter and John were changed. Peter and John, uh, spiritually, they're changed. But what about this lame man? Not only spiritually is he changed, but physically he's changed. This guy was laying at the gate beautiful. He would gather alms every day. Every time he would be at temple. And as you walked in, you saw him. These religious sects, They had to know him. Peter and John knew him. 
And there he was begging. And that was his ministry. And generally, when you went into temple, that was one of uh, the laws in Leviticus. You took care of the poor. And so you handed over a shekel or two. Peter and John did not give them a shekel or two. But in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Now, I want you to imagine the religious sect, which is the Sanhedrin here, uh, thinking that they've removed Jesus Christ. The insurrection is to Judaism. The insurrection is to Jerusalem. No more problems. He's dead. We put him on the cross. But wrong. Peter and John are like Christ. You and I, if we're Christian, we're supposed to be like Christ. When you look at the word Christian, the literal translation is to be Christ-likeness. I'm never going to be Christ. You're never going to be Christ. Christ is the Messiah. But I want to be like him. I want to pattern my life after him. And so a Christian, you say you're a Christian, uh, you need to be Christ-likeness. And, and that's why important the change. If you were a drug addict, an alcoholic, a womanizer, that has to change. If you're a liar, if you're cursing, if you're a gossiper, whatever the sin, nature, it has to change. It has to change. If there's no change, I have to question your salvation. Again, Jesus said, uh, you'll know them uh, by their fruit. And I like what my pastor shared years ago. You know, I'm not here to judge anybody, neither are you. But God does call us to be fruit inspectors. Is agape love running in and through you? And so, Peter and John, the Holy Spirit is all over them. They have been with Jesus. They're never going to be the same. The word boldness in the Greek, uh, they had the freedom of speech now. That's what the literal translation, and that's important to me because they were unschooled. They were untrained. They were uneducated, but they spoke with the freedom of speech. Contrast to being uneducated, unschooled, untrained. They spoke with boldness. Look at verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. The religious sect were dumbfounded. There's an old saying, and you've heard it, seeing is believing. <laughs> the religious sect could say nothing against the obvious miracle that stood before them. The lame man that was previously lame from birth, we're going to see that he was over 40 years old. Obviously, uh, there's a miracle before them. Obviously, they can see it. They can see that he's complete. They can see that he's whole. He's standing now. The Bible says he was leaping for joy in the Lord. I think if we were this lame man, uh, we would be leaping also. Interesting to me, as we've been studying the Gospel of John, and now the book of Acts, when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, uh, you see approximately uh, 35 miracle signs and wonders. That's the account that we have. I want you to write this down. In John chapter 21, verse 25, it's the last chapter in the Gospel of John. Listen to what John says. There are also many other 
of things that Jesus did. Speaking about the miracle signs and wonders. Which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So be it. The book is done. If the accounts that we have of 35 miracle signs and wonders, imagine how much more Jesus did that we don't have accounts of. I mean, not everything could be written of what he did in the three and a half years of ministry. <laughs> now, I want you to flip back real quick. In Acts chapter 3, look at verses 6 through 9. Verse 6 says, Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. He's speaking to the lame man. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Verse 7 says, and he took him by the right hand. And lifted him up, and immediately his feet, his ankle bones, received strength. Now Luke is writing as a physician of the book of Acts. Could it be that they could hear the ankle bones snapping back into place? Not only did they see it, did they hear it? Well, they heard him praising God. Notice that it says, and immediately his feet, his ankle bones, they received strength. In verse 8, so he, speaking of the lame man, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Uh, talk about boldness. Talk about boldness. Remember I shared, I, I'm, I'm looking at this man, maybe he even did a cartwheel. I'm walking. God did this. And Peter and John are called on the carpet for it. Uh, look at verse 15. Uh, but when they had commanded, listen, they're commanding now. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the consul, they conferred among themselves. They told Peter and John, step outside. We want to converse now with our colleagues. The New Living Translation brings it out even more clear. Verse 15 he says, they ordered Peter and John out of the consul chamber. Then they debated among themselves. And so here is a good question. If they're debating among themselves, where did Luke, as they've been asked, Peter and John, to remove themselves, how did Luke get all this information that he's writing here? especially about this particular account. Now, obviously, we know the Holy Spirit uh, would speak to men and reveal to men and even to the women, and then they would write these things. But one commentary said this, and I found it interesting. He said that Luke would have heard the accounts later when many of those that were part of the Sanhedrin, of the 71 elect of Israel, we know that many of them came uh, out of the religious sect into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. People like Nicodemus. Uh, back in, in John chapter 3, Jesus said, you must be born again. Nicodemus was part of the religious sect. And Joseph of Arimathea, he went and asked Herod for uh, the body of Christ. He went and asked Pilate. And they granted it to him. And Jesus was buried in Joseph of Arimathea, their family tomb. He only needed it for three days, right? 
beautiful when you think about that. And then I'm reminded in Acts chapter 9. What about Saul of Tarsus? He was part of the Sanhedrin. You know who Saul of Tarsus is, right? It's Paul the Apostle. And so these accounts would have easily been transferred later, spoken to later uh, to the disciples and, and especially to the apostles. And, and then they wrote these things down. That's how Luke would have known this. Look at verse 16 now. And, and saying, this is the meeting that's taking place with the Sanhedrin or the Sadducees. What shall we do to these men? They're dumbfounded. They don't know what to do. Uh, they say, what shall we do with these men? For indeed, a notable miracle. They recognize it. A notable miracle has been done through them. It, it, it's evident to all. Everybody knew that. Who dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. This is a very important verse here, church. They debated. They argued back and forth. And finally, admitting to their group, this is a noble miracle. Listen to the word uh, noble. Uh, this would mean a, a well-known miracle. Not just any miracle, but a well-known miracle. Uh, the word known, or the word to know, it, it comes from gnosko, and, and it means to know by experience. As I shared earlier, and I shared many times, they saw the lame man. I'm picturing over here in the corner uh, of our wall, you know, getting ready to go into the sanctuary, let's say. They were getting ready to go into the temple. And here's the gate, beautiful. And there's that lame man. He's lying there in his bed, his mat. He's been there every day. He's been there enough times to recognize him, to know him. And then he obviously can't move. And so the experience of knowing this, what's been done through him, it's evident. It's plain as day in view of all those in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. Listen to this. The corruption of the hearts of the religious ones is so plain to see. They acknowledged that a miracle had genuinely uh, had taken place, had happened, yet they refused to submit uh, to Messiah who worked the miracle sign and the wonder. This Jesus of Nazareth, he is the Messiah. It's very sad commentary here. Now, I want you to think of the heart of man because basically all of our hearts are evil until Christ comes into that heart. Until the born-again experience comes into the heart. Uh, the Pastor Bob that you see here is not the Bob of B.C. days before Christ. I was evil. Some of you, you were evil. Like it or not. If you don't think you were evil, ask some of your friends, some of your family. Hey, before I started going to church, before I got this born-again experience, uh, was I evil? And be prepared. Tell me the truth. Was I evil? Be prepared. Ooh, you were evil. If they're telling you the truth. Now, your wife probably loves you so much, she's not going to say that. But ask your kids. Ask your kids. I remember six, seven, eight months after we got saved, radically saved, I sat my oldest daughter on my lap. I said, Mija, what do you think about mom and dad? What do you think now we're going to church? 
What do you think of the change that's happening? She's kind of, you know, she's only about 10 years old. And she looked straight in my eye. Dad, you're not drunk no more. You know what that felt like? Take a knife. Boom. She knew we cannot fool our children. And so what is going on here? Change. Transformation. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.17. These men that did not want to receive it, this religious sect that did not want to receive it, they had a callous heart. They had a hard heart. They had an evil heart. Now, I want you to mark down these two chapters. It, it, the, the caption of my Bible in Ezekiel 36, it says, Israel's renewal. And you know what happens in Ezekiel chapter 37? The dry bones put on flesh. They become life. But he's speaking about Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, I believe it's verse 26, I, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take away the heart of stone, the heart of callous, the heart of evil out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a pure heart. If we could see our heart before Christ in a spiritual sense, it's dark, it's black, it's, it's callous, it's hard. It's evil. But only Christ can change that. And these guys, they just could not handle it. And we read the same thing. Go back in Ezekiel chapter 17. And so read chapter 17 and 36. It's speaking about the nation of Israel. And these, this Sanhedrin is the, uh, the epitome. It's the, the whole case on Israel. They were the teachers. They were the priesthood. They were supposed to be leading the people to Christ. Again, not all of them, but some of them did come to saving grace. Nicodemus came to saving grace. 2 Corinthians 5.17 has to be part of my life, has to be part of your life. Look at verse 17 now. But so that it spreads no further this doctrine of Christ, among the people, let us severely threaten them. This is what they came up with. Let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. I want you to think of that right now. What would you do? What would I do if I'm told I cannot preach any longer in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? And I want you to think of Pastor Saeed. Where is he for preaching? Even in our 21st century, he's sitting in an Iranian prison for that effect itself. Uh, the religious group derived this plan now, verse 17, after gathering together, let's stifle the whole situation that it spread no further. It's like a cancer. It's like gangrene. Easier said than done. Don't say... In Jesus' name. That's what they're saying. I believe they were not trying to protect the people. Listen. But they were trying to protect their own sinful hearts, the religious sect. People just don't like change. How many times have you heard this? Listen. Because in the last 30, 
plus years, I've heard it plenty of times. People will say, we have always believed this way. Listen to this one. You know it. My grandmother believed this way. Her grandmother believed this way. And my great-grandmother believed this way. And then you hear this one. And by the way, it's tradition. Let me tell you something. I love tradition. But there are some traditions, spiritual traditions, that are going to take you to hell if you continue in that tradition. My grandmother did it. My grandfather did it. And we cap on that. In Spanish, when I got back, uh, when I got back home, uh, this is years ago, and then, you know, we, Mary and I got saved, like I shared many times, we were radically saved, and finally one day we, we got back to Grandma's house, and all the family used to gather, everything happened at Grandma's house, and she told me in Spanish, you change jackets? I'll never forget that. Cambiates de chaqueta. I never forgot that. I go, Grandma, what do you mean? You know what she was saying? You, you took off Catholicism, and you draped yourself in Christianity. That's what she was saying. Tradition will kill you if it's not of God. We have always believed this way. I've heard that before. And here's a simple test, simple test. It's not about your grandmother, great-grandmother, or great-great-great-grandmother. It's not about your tradition, but what does the Word of God have to say? What does the Word of God have to say? From Genesis uh, to Revelation, the 66 books. And, and you know this scenario. I've said it many times. It's not about Calvary Chapel, the Baptist Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Methodists, uh, the Lutherans, the Assemblies of God. It's not about Mormonism. It's not about Jehovah's Witnesses. And the list goes on. Bottom line again. What does the Bible, the Holy Scripture, uh, sola scriptura, what does it have to say? And Jesus would ask, what say ye? Either yes or no. The Greek is saying, let us threaten them with a threat, or forbid them with this threat. And the best they could do, look at the next verse now, verse 18. So they called them, and here's that word again, they commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So the threat was a command not to speak or to teach, implying their displeasure if they did so, this threat, however, was not effectual at all. Because on the next occasion, we'll study it, mark it down, in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. And so on the next occasion, which occurred soon after, they added, not even to speak, but also they're going to beat them to their threats in order to detour them from preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. Not only did they command them, but later they threatened them by beating them. And may I say the church has always gone through some type of persecution or another for the last 2,000 years, and the church is still with us. And here's a good question. How do you stop the gospel 
How do you stop the gospel message of Christ? Uh, the answer is you don't. Many have tried for 2,000 years. They have failed miserably. In fact, it continues to grow and to grow. Uh, look where the gospel has gone in the last 2,000 years. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 2. Satan and his demons and men that are evil, women that are evil, have tried to quench the gospel throughout the years, and they have failed, and they're going to continue to try, even during the time of the tribulation, during the time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30, verse 7, that they're still going to fail. There's going to be a great revival, I believe strongly. Study the book of Revelation. There's going to be a great revival during the time of the tribulation. I mean, who's going to deny 144,000 uh, born-again little Billy Grahams, Jewish Billy Grahams? They're going to be preaching the gospel. But look at what Jesus said. The seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Jesus writes to all the churches. Uh, the church at Smyrna was the persecuted church. We've shared many times. In order for the... The myrrh plant, which was Smyrna was named after, the myrrh plant, in order to get the fragrance from the myrrh plant, she had to be crushed. She had to be punished. And so the plant also, if you didn't crush the plant, the aroma of the plant would not come forth. Otherwise, it just sat there. And so the persecuted church has always grown. There's always been a type of Smyrna church in church history. And so Revelation chapter 2, look at verses 8 uh, through 11. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Uh, write this letter to the angel of the church at Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, speaking of Christ, who was dead but now is alive. I don't know about your suffering. I, I know, excuse me, I know, and a word, the word again, gnosko, I know by experience your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. Speaking about spiritual richness, he says, and I know that the blasphemy of those opposing you, they say that uh, they are Jews, but they are not. Listen to what he says, hard concept, because they are, the synagogue uh, belongs to Satan. Verse 10, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. Paul the Apostle, twice he went to prison. You will suffer for 10 days. Listen to this. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. The victor's crown. Uh, these 10 days, scholars believe, uh, speaking of the last 10 emperors of Rome. And if you study Roman history, and you go back to uh, the last emperors, these last 10, they were evil, and Nero was one of them. He was the worst, and it's, it's, it's accountable of 6 million Christians that were killed. Verse 11, to conclude, the message uh, to the church at Smyrna, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches, whosoever is victorious will not be harmed. Listen. By the second death. What is the second death? Go back and study Revelation chapter 20. The great white throne judgment. Those that are in hell eventually will come out of hell. And they'll stand before the great white throne judgment. And still be found guilty. 
and then cast into the lake of fire. That's the second death. Radical. Radical. And let's go back to our text now. In verse 19. And he says, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. You have to love Peter and John. And can I remind you again? Peter was the one that denied the Lord three times. Peter was the one that said, I will not deny you. And Jesus said, the rooster's going to crow. You will have denied me the third time. And he did. The rooster crowed. Uh, some of the gospels tell you that Peter went outside and he was cursing. Lord, you knew it. That's what he was saying. I didn't listen to you. But then he restores Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Do you really? Yes. Peter, do you really truly love me? Yes, Lord. He was getting frustrated. I believe Jesus was restoring him. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Do the work that you're called to do. And that's the beauty of the Lord that we serve. He's always ready to forgive us, church. It's not that we look to sin to get the forgiveness, but we sin. Sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. But we sin. I'm a sinner just like you. But we have an advocate. We have a lawyer for our defense. We have a go-between. We have a bridge builder. Interesting, when you study the book of Job, considered the oldest book in the Bible, he was looking for a day's man. He was looking for a bridge builder between man and God, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, whether it is right, verse 19 again, in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Here's what I put in, in my commentary of verse 19. It is a no-brainer that they would listen to God instead of man. Peter makes an effective appeal to this truth. Besides all this, they were filled with the Holy Spirit since the book of Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit, listen, is leading them, guiding them, and directing them into all truth. The same with us. The same with us. If I came up here Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, or any time I teach here, or if I'm invited somewhere else, if I come up in my flesh, if I come up with Bob's theory, I'm going to fail, and I've done that before. I need to come, and all preachers need to come with the power of the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit. This is Peter and John. Look at verse 20 now. For we cannot, they respond back to them, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Oh, I love their response. Pastor Chuck taught this to us many, many years ago, and when we would come to conference, we would hear it constantly. The laws of God, listen, the laws of God always supersede the laws of man. The laws of man. Go back to when they ordered, the Pharaoh ordered the children of Israel to kill all the infants. What did Moses' mom do? Disobeyed the government. Put him in a basket and sent him down the Nile. 
You see, everything has a purpose and a plan. Now, don't be leaving here today and speeding and saying, I don't need the laws of man. Be careful. Hmm? Carlos, I see you. <laughs> Trust me, it doesn't work. I've tried it. <laughs> These guys are not the same. They're not the same. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Listen to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just a portion of it. You shall be witnesses to me, Jesus told them, uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Jerusalem was their home. Jerusalem is where you are first to be an effective witness. Peter and John did not do this alone. Peter and John did not do this alone, but the Holy Spirit was with them. Listen, they obeyed God, and then they merely spoke the things which we have seen and heard. They were reliable eyewitnesses. Jesus calls us to be an effective witness, each one of us. Don't tell me you're a Christian and you're effective at church. Praise God. But tomorrow is, is the challenge. Are you effective at work? Are you effective at work? If they were to put you on trial for being a Christian, is there enough to convict you of your Christianity? Uh, I took that to heart years ago. Is that change evident? Or are you still one of the boys? Are you still one of the girls? Let me tell you, it's very difficult. It's not easy. I fought the battle back at work. I fought the battle. I just said, Lord, I'm going to go for it. If the Spirit of God gets a hold of you, you cannot deny it. And that's what's been happening here with Peter and John. Look at verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, then they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all were glorifying God for what had been done. For what had been done. Just like Jesus, it was not Peter and John's time for persecution. Their time would come, but it wasn't now. Historically, we know uh, that Peter later would be crucified upside down. Historically, we also know that John, the beloved, was boiled in oil, but he did not succumb. And then they cast him uh, to Patmos, the salt mines, and that's where they were sent in those days, the ones that were deranged. But God had a purpose. He wrote the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. But you're not finished, your work's not finished until God says it's time. All of my family's asking, hey, Bob, when are you going to retire? I said, I don't know. That's up to God. My health, it's still there. I struggle at times, but my health is still there. How am I going to, how do you retire from God? Well, I got a 401k. If, if I miss a Sunday, I, I'm miserable that I'm not teaching. 
if I miss a Wednesday, the same effect. And I understand and I know there's times I have to leave. That's one or two Sundays. That's one or two Wednesdays. I don't know if I could handle a month. How long can you fish? I mean, come on. I mean, how many times could, uh, could I go to Carlsbad or White Sands? Come on. How do you retire from God? And so the ministry is going to go on. With or without you, with or without John or Peter. Look at verse 22, the conclusion. <laughs> For the man that was over 40 years old, on whom this miracle, sign and wonder, this healing, had been performed. <laughs> what a testimony. Listen, everybody that frequented the temple knew him. He sat at the gate beautiful, as I mentioned many times now, seeking alms. Go back and look at the conclusion. Acts chapter 3, verse 6. I mean, he's got his hand out. He focuses. Here comes Peter and John. The hand's out there because, hey, I'm going to get a shekel or two. I'm going to get something. The Levitical law says these guys have to give me something. <laughs> Listen to the words. Peter said, Acts chapter 3, verse 6, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Verse 7, he took him by the hand and lifted him up, his feet and his ankles, immediately received strength. That's why I say I... I, I I think they could hear them popping in. Pastor Mike McIntosh, when, when God miraculously healed him, he had cooked his brain. That's the best way I can tell you because I'm not a doctor. I mean, the doctors told him, you took too many drugs. When the Lord healed him that night, he said he could hear popping in his head. God was restoring what the canker worm had stolen. And so the same with us. And this man, uh, it's interesting to me, he wasn't saved, I believe. But he was healed physically. And then he was healed spiritually. Remember, preaching and teaching. Preaching was for the non-believer. Teaching is for the believer. And healing, a healing was beneficial for believer and non-believer. Good example, the 10 lepers were healed. Bible says only one leper came back. And so this guy was healed physically. But after that, he was leaping and praising God for joy. He comes to the Lord. I believe we'll see him in heaven. Hey, are you the guy that Pastor Bob said does cartwheels? Come on, show me. You'll know him. You will know him. We're going to continue next week with Peter and John. Being arrested, totally different ball game, man. I in preparing this study, I, I just can't get over what Pastor Said is going through for preaching the gospel, for setting up uh, orphanages in his home country for the kids. He's arrested, sentenced eight years. Beatings, often, like Paul, 
left for dead like Paul? Pray, because this Wednesday coming up, Pastor Saeed's wife, excuse me, Negme, put it on, on Facebook, and she's asking for prayer. President Obama will be in Boise, Idaho. He's there for a meeting. She's written upteen letters to him, to the White House. I'd like to see you in person to discuss my husband. Everybody's praying that she would have a meeting with him. And our flesh, the first thing it says, it's not going to happen. How do we know if we don't pray? He was cast into an Iranian prison. And let me tell you how effective this man's been. They moved him from one prison to probably the worst prison in Iran. They say most prisoners don't make it through there. I, I think they want him killed. But at the same time, it's not his time. I hope and pray we see him come out. It's up to the Lord, right? It's up to the Lord. Let's all stand and we'll end with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we, we thank you so much for the word of God that will not come back void. It is better to obey God than to obey man. That's what we saw in the teaching this morning. Peter and John are never the same. Lord, you got a hold of these guys. And it spoke to the religious sect, but not all of them responded. You see, uh, it was a very lucrative business that they were operating. And Annas knew this, and Caiaphas knew it. And so, Father, we pray that you would continue to show us the power of the Spirit of God in our lives, and all we have to do is ask. And so at this time, as the Spirit of the Lord has been speaking to each and every one, uh, each and every one of us, maybe somebody's here this morning. Maybe you haven't come to Christ yet. The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. With every eye closed, every head bowed, we're not here to pressure you. I can't save you, neither can Calvary Chapel. But I know the one that can. I'll say a simple prayer with you right there where you're at. If you'd like to come to Saving Grace this morning, raise your hand real quick. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at in the comfort of your own seat, if you'd like to receive Christ this morning, raise your hand real quick. Anybody. Then if we're all Christian, I don't want you to raise your hand on this one, but if you need the, the power of God's Spirit, you are, you are Christian, you need the power of God's Spirit, you need to ask them as we pray. The Bible says you ask, you seek, and you knock. And so let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, this morning that you would pour out your spirit upon those that are asking, those that are seeking, those that are knocking on your chamber door. Lord, pour out your spirit as you did in the book of Acts in chapter 2. And Father, speak to our hearts, minister to our hearts, give us that boldness that Peter and John had. Lord, give us that boldness that this lame man received, not only a spiritual healing, but a physical healing. Lord, touch our bodies here. There's so many that are under, under, under the weather, Lord. We ask for your healing, Lord. And so, Father, go before us this morning. Bless the offerings as you've given to us. Uh, here's the portion in the ministry where we give back to you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord. 
In Jesus' precious name, we pray. And we all agree by saying amen.